Matthew this morning, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Alan, if you want to go ahead and put that first slide up there, I would appreciate that. Hey, let's pray and let's get started. Lord, thankful for just the group that you brought out here on just a uh, cold January morning just to learn of you, to grow in you. I pray over this next hour we just stop. Let the focus be you, Lord. Help us to just forget about what we're going through and to say, what can we learn? We give you our world, our nation, our men and women serving, the kids in the back. And Lord, we give you all the other groups of believers meeting here this morning as well. But for right here, right now, we want to learn and grow in you. In your name, amen. All right, continue our study here through the book of Matthew. Last week we left off right around verses 57, 58. And I'm just going to remind you guys, and if you've been with us in our study in Matthew, you've heard some of this before, but it bears repeating. These, These last chapters of Matthew, we're in the final hours of Christ's life. So when we were going through Matthew 26, and I had some of you picking on me this week, saying, how long are we going to be in Matthew 26? Please note, it is 75 verses. Get Cut me a little bit of slack on that, please. We had been in Matthew 26, about, we started about two years ago, I believe it was. <laughs> but it's the final day, the final hours of Christ's life. And what I want you to know is this, is when we did the Last Supper and the Passover meal, when he betrays, excuse me, identifies as betrayer, that was the evening. And then we get to our first one, the arrest in the garden. Now we're getting to early morning, and that's what we talked about last week. And then he's going to go into Annas's, then Caiaphas. You can see the list here. And I just want to remind you of this. Starting with the first one, the rest in the garden, all the way through Pilate, you're just talking a span of hours. Hours. The arrest in the garden happens early morning. And by the time you get to number four, the Sanhedrin, it's daylight. And then by the time he gets to the cross, Pilate, Herod, Pilate, you're only talking a matter of a few hours. We're down in the final hours of Christ's life. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can also look at this, and it will show you geographically. This is a very small area they're going to. They're maybe walking a quarter mile here, then a quarter mile there. And they're kind of doing a loop, as you can see. Annas, Caiaphas, Sanhedrin, Pilate, to Herod, back to Pilate. Now, some of these names not mean, mean anything to you. I just kind of want to remind you of what we're talking about here as we go through it. First one, arrest in the garden. That was at Gethsemane. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. where Jesus was praying. That's where he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. After that, he's arrested. He goes to Annas. Now, Annas was the high priest. But Rome removed him about 15, 20 years before this. Rome said, we want a high priest that's more sympathetic to us as a nation. But they put his son-in-law in, who is Caiaphas. Now, according to the book of Luke, the Bible says there was two high priests because the Jews looked at both of them as being in power and charge. So when they take him to Annas first, he's technically not the high priest. But the Jews at that time are saying, this is the one we respect and we believe is the true high priest. He goes to Annas has a fake little trial, if you will. Annas says Jesus is guilty. He then sends him to Caiaphas' house, who is the actual high priest. Same thing, a fake little trial. He is mocked, false witness, he's beaten. And then they go to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a group of 71 members, priests, scribes, etc. These are the people that's the actual governing body. They at this time stop and say, we actually pronounce him guilty and deserving of death. This happens at sunrise. But the Jews can't put somebody to death. So now they have to go to Pilate, who is the Roman governor of the area. They have to go ask Rome for permission to execute him. Pilate stops and says, he's a Jew. I want nothing to do with this. I'm sending you to Herod. Now, Herod, when I say he's the king, I use that term lightly. The Romans allowed the Jews to have this person that they looked at as a king. Rome was really in charge. This is not the Herod that was the Herod at the time of Jesus' birth. This would be his son. This is the Herod that killed John the Baptist. 
Herod said, I just want to see tricks. Jesus, do tricks. Jesus does nothing. Herod says, I can't help you with this. Sends him back to Pilate. Pilate says, I have to make a decision. Gives in to peer pressure. And next thing you know, Christ is on the cross. This is once again, an early morning into morning. So keep that in the back of your mind. We'll leave this up here as we go through it. No gospel account shows every single part of this. You have to put all four gospel accounts together to get this. So last week when we stopped, if you look at between verses 56 and 57 here in Matthew, that's when he goes to Annas. So last week we did a rest in the garden, Annas, and now we're going to pick it up here in verses 57 and 58. I'm going to reread verses 57 and 58, make a couple quick reminder points from what we talked about last week, then we're moving on with the new part of this message. Verse 57. And those who laid hold of Jesus and led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. A couple quick reminder points. The world doesn't care about truth when it comes to us. What you're going to see here going on is all these false witnesses that are going to pop up that we've talked about before. They're trying to find somebody to trap Jesus in this. The world doesn't care that we represent truth with a capital T. They don't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, it makes them uncomfortable. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that men love darkness rather than light. So you represent the light. So when you go into home, when you go into school, when you go into work, and you represent the truth with a capital T, and you represent the light of the Lord, men don't like you. They don't want to be around that. And that's why Jesus represented light and truth. They didn't want it, so therefore all the false witnesses that are coming up. Now, the false witnesses, that's difficult, that false testimony. And we'll get to that here in a little bit as well, more. But please remember this. Matthew 5 makes it very clear. When people speak falsely against your sake, you're blessed, the Bible says. Jesus made that very clear in Matthew 5. If they come up to you and say things falsely against you for my sake, for the name of Jesus, you are blessed. Now, many of you over the years have come up to me and you've said, Hey, I got this situation at work and I got this guy saying stuff about me and it's not true. And it's starting to really frustrate me and get to me. And I'll listen to you for a few minutes, and I'll kind of interrupt you, and I'll look at you, and I'll smile, and I'll say, hey, but guess what? Every time they say stuff against you for the name of Christ, the Bible says, Matthew 5, you are blessed. Amen, right? None of you ever say amen back. I'm just telling you that right now. Because you don't like it. We don't like it when people say things against us that's not true. So you look at Jesus, the whole trial here was false testimony. The whole thing. And guess what Jesus said? The way they treat me is the way they're going to treat you. It's still going to happen today. But God also told us in Matthew 5, you are blessed when they say all types of things falsely against for my name's sake. Please remind yourself here of Peter in verse 57. Peter following at a distance, it says. We talked about that last week. Peter following him at a distance in verses 57 and 58. About how spiritually you want to be as close as you can to Christ. And how many of us say we love the Lord want to be morally right in the things of the Bible. We want to have a deep walk with the Lord, but we want to follow him at a distance. That's going to get you in trouble. And next thing you see happening in verse 58, he's sitting with the servants, which we'll get to more later, sitting by the fire with the servants. Last week we talked about how the Bible mentions three fires, the fire of your enemy. And that's what Peter does. He sat with the enemy. That's not good. The other fires in Isaiah that you sit by the fire alone, that's dangerous too when you try to become solo Christian. The last fires where Jesus made a fire for Peter and asked Peter to come sit with him in John. And that's where we talk about that's the fire you want to be at, as close as you can to Christ. 
So just a couple quick reminders there, some of the points to remember that as we go through. Hey, let's pick it up here. Verse 59, we're at number three now. We're at Caiaphas' house. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the councils sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Let's put this all together here. A couple of things that I find interesting. Once again, the false witness, the false testimony. They were not trying to have a fair trial. There's something called the Talmud. The Talmud is a group of Jewish teachings that they add to the Bible. So you remember in the Bible when Jesus got upset at the scribes and Pharisees and said, you keep adding things? This is what he's talking about. The Talmud is 6,200 pages long. 6,200 pages of extra rules that you have to follow. Now, the Talmud makes it very clear you can't have false witnesses. Well, that makes pretty much so sense. The Talmud also says this, you can't do a trial at night which kind of makes sense. And number three, the Talmud also says this, you can't do a capital offense trial, that is a murder trial, and execute the person on the same day. You were supposed to have one day for you to stop and think, do you want to show mercy to this person? The point of all this is what? These guys aren't caring about a fair trial. It goes back to the point that we said earlier in the introduction. The world's not looking for truth with a capital T. They may tell you they are, but they're not. They're looking for whatever makes them feel good. And at this moment, The Jews are not looking for the light of the world. They're not looking for the truth of Jesus Christ. They want darkness. They want Christ removed. And the same thing happens to us today. When you take a stand for truth, some people don't want to hear it. They just don't. They want it removed, and they're not going to listen. Things have not changed in 2,000 years. So they have this false witness. They have this false testimony. And how did Jesus answer? Verse 62, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But 63, Jesus kept silent. Isn't that fascinating? You know how hard it is to say nothing when people are making accusations against you that aren't true? Oh my goodness. You want to defend yourself. You want to say something. Listen to the biblical definition of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. Sometimes wisdom is saying nothing. At this point, are they really looking for a fair trial? Are they really looking for wisdom? No. So Jesus kept silent. Keep your hand here in Matthew 26 with me. Please go with me to Proverbs. Proverbs 26. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about these conversations that sometimes we get ourselves into. Proverbs 26, please. Wisdom, knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. Jesus has an opportunity, and he says nothing. He's going to go to Herod here in a little bit. And you would think from an outreach gospel perspective, Jesus, you have the, the, the Jewish leadership here. This is the time for you to show them who you are. Jesus, you have a personal audience with King Herod. This is the time to show them who you are. He says nothing. Why? Proverbs 26 
Verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Isn't that truth? You ever been involved in a conversation? You see the conversation just going downhill. It's just becoming foolish. The Bible is saying, just stop. Get out of it. Just completely, utterly get out of it. It's not worth it. God is not glorified by this. The kingdom of heaven is not expanding because of this conversation. People are not being edified by this conversation. Let's just be done. Now you hear that. You know that. But in your flesh you're saying what? Oh, I want to win this thing. And when I win this thing, part of you feels really good. I won. And the other part of you says, yeah, but I lost spiritually. You can win an argument, but yet lose spiritually. Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Somebody wants to pull you down, stay out of it. It's not worth it. Think about these arguments and fights you get into. Are they really worth it? Well, they're saying this, they're doing that. Yeah, I know, and the world knows they're a fool. Let it go. Oh, it's hard to do. You just see it building. We had a great day out the other day. The kids and I and Dawn and stuff were coming home from a place. And in the back of the van... They just start having a conversation. They start comparing the Defiance YMCA to the Ottawa YMCA. They start comparing them both. Next thing you know, tensions are building. We're taking sides on what's better, the Defiance YMCA or the Ottawa YMCA. Who has the better pool? Who has the better locker rooms? Who has the better gym floor? And all of a sudden, you just see this tension building. Boys, let it go. It's a foolish argument. It's not worth it. doesn't matter which one's better. Yeah, okay, you're right. Well, I like that rocker room, though, at Ottawa. That's better. It just keeps building. And so you stop and you say this, because this is something we're trying to teach the boys. Paul says in Timothy, avoid foolish disputes. Guys, this sounds like a foolish argument. Just be done. This has nothing to do with heaven, hell, or eternity. Just be done. Calm, quiet for a second. One little voice goes, wow, I still think Ottawa's better. I mean, it's just that, (laughs) that is just us. We, we got to get that last word in. we got to get that point in. And it's just, no. It's a foolish conversation. It's folly. Just stay out of it. Jesus kept silent. That's actually fulfilled prophecy. Because in Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus will be like a lamb before the shearers. I remember growing up when we had sheep. And I can remember when, the, when they came and they would shear them. They would literally just grab those things, put them in there, flip them around. And they had these huge clippers and just shear, shear, shear. And they said, Nothing. You collect the wool, throw it in the bag. As the lamb is silent before the shearers, he said nothing. Now, isn't that fascinating? See, there's a biblical definition here that we really don't understand too well, and it's called being meek. Now, if you go look up the word meek, meek today means weak. If I come up to you and I say, boy, I think you're a very meek man, it sounds like I'm insulting you. Because if you look up the definition of meek, it does mean now weakness. Does not have a a backbone, gets walked on, gets picked on. But that's the world's definition. If you go back and look at the biblical definition of meekness, the biblical definition of meekness means power under control. Jesus says nothing. Why? Because he doesn't have to. He knows who he is. He's confident that he is the Messiah. We just learned a few verses ago, he could have called angels down from heaven if he wanted to. So when you choose not to say something... You're being meek. Now, the world looks at that as weakness, but God says, you're strong. You're strong. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the wise man studies how to answer. You know there's going to be a tough conversation coming up at work, at home, at school, wherever it is. Lord, I'm already praying now. Give me wisdom on what to say, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. 
because I want to be prepared in how to answer. And I'm confident enough in the Lord to say nothing. Oh, yeah, but they're going to keep saying false things. They're going to keep making... Nope, because I know I'm being meek, power under control. I don't have to destroy you with my wisdom. I don't have to destroy you with my words. I don't have to destroy you with anything. I can let it go. That's the example of Christ. Now, keep your hand here in Proverbs 26, because we're coming right back. But go back to Matthew 26. Jesus kept silent. We talked about that, verse 63. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, what's happening here, this is from Leviticus chapter 5. In Leviticus chapter 5, if they came and put you under oath to tell the truth, you had to. If you chose not to answer, it shows guilt. What they're basically saying is, did you do it? Your silence means you did. That's what they're saying. So now Jesus answers. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. Meekness. Guys, I'm sitting at the right hand of God because I am God and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now go back to your verse in Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, that almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Verse 4, I just taught you for five minutes. Don't say anything. Let it go, just like Jesus. Now, verse 5, say something, just like Jesus. Each situation is unique. Each situation is Herod, that's a foolish conversation. Jesus said nothing. Pilate, Jesus said something. But please note that sometimes Jesus didn't even answer Pilate. Pilate asks one of the most fundamental questions in all of history. He says to Jesus, what is truth? And you remember Jesus' answer? No, because he didn't. Pilate's not really looking. There are times when you're having a conversation with somebody. It's foolish. It's folly. Do verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to its folly, lest you be like him. Walk away. Get away. I'm not going there. But there's other times in verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest to be wise in his own eyes, that you have to sit there and say, listen, I'm sorry. I can't let this one go. I, I got to put my foot down and we got to talk about this. We don't need to talk about what's better, the Defiance YMCA or the Auto YMCA. That's a foolish conversation. But I tell my boys all the time going through devotions, listen, if somebody wants to bring up something unscriptural or unbiblical or attack the deity of Jesus, by golly, verse 5, don't let it go. Answer a fool according to their folly. Because sometimes you have to take that stand for truth. When do you know when to say it and how to say it? That's why you're prayed up and ready. Because there are times where you just got to walk away and realize nothing good comes out of this. And there's other times where the Holy Spirit says to you, no, you're taking a stand. You're taking a stand right now. I remember years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, I was doing marriage counseling with a couple. And we went through this passage. They kept getting into foolish arguments. Foolish arguments. And so we said, okay, let's look at what Proverbs says. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. That should be like him. Stay away from it. So the husband calls me up and says, Pastor, I just want to let you know, we started getting into an argument. And I said, I remember what you said. I remember those verses. And so I, I, I stopped it. And I said, Amen. I said, didn't that feel good? I mean, isn't it nice to handle it biblically? He goes, well, it didn't go good. I said, why? And he said, because I looked at her and said, according to the Bible, you're a fool. And I'm just supposed to walk away from this. True story. They're still married, happy, amen. I just want to let you know that. But I said, buddy, yeah, that was a good job. But don't, don't, that's an inside thought, you know? Keep that inside, you know? 
You're going to run into situations this week where it's a foolish conversation, and you've got to make a prayed-over, quick, spirit-led, snap decision. Is this something where I need to let it go and just walk away? Jesus remains silent. It's not worth it. Or is this verse 5, Lord, you're telling me to take a stand for truth, and I will take a stand for truth right here, right now, and I don't know how it go. Each situation is unique. This is why you get up in the morning and say, Lord, lead me today. Guide me today, because you know what's coming, and I don't, and I need to be spiritually ready and prepared. That's what we can learn from Jesus here now. Jump back if you go to Matthew 26. So they find him guilty of blasphemy, verse 66. He is deserving of death. Now they're getting ready to send him to Caiaphas. Excuse me, send him to the Sanhedrin. But before that happens, verse 67, Then they spat in his face, beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Well, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine this. I mean, I can't. I mean, the Bible makes it clear in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was marred more than any other man. What he went through over these next few hours of beating and torture and ultimately the cross, which we'll get to in a few weeks, It's unbelievable physically what he went through. Physically. This is just the start of it. Now, why? This is a spiritual picture of sin, guys. This is what sin does to you. Sin destroys you. It beats you down. It spits on you. And Jesus is saying, I am taking this for your sake. You know, when we take communion and we hold that and we say, this is his body broken for you. He's starting to be broken for us. Sin is disgusting and awful, and this is what it does to us. And Jesus said, I will go through this, the reproaches of the world, the torture of the world for you. And now I hope you start to understand grace and mercy, where Jesus said, this is what I'll do for you. This is just the beginning of it. And I I can't imagine the physical pain. I mean, the Bible talks about his back being laid open, you know, nails through the wrist, his beard being pulled out, being spit upon, crown of thorns. We can go through all that. But what about the mocking? Prophesy to us, Christ, who's the one who struck you? He could have told them. He could have told them. He just sat there like a lamb before the shearers is silent, the Bible says. Once again, is that weakness? That's not weakness. That's meekness. Make sure you understand the difference of that. Which now takes us back to Peter. Peter, verse 69, sitting outside, getting ready to talk to the servant girl. We pick on Peter a lot these last couple weeks. Peter's the one that said at the Last Supper, even though everyone may leave you, I won't leave you. Everyone may flee, I'll die for you. Peter was the one last week that pulled out the sword in front of 600 Roman soldiers and said, I'll cut off people's ears left and right. It's Peter... Peter, as far as we can tell, was the only one kind of following Jesus a little bit. So, in one way, we should pat Peter on the back. But he's doing everything absolutely wrong. That's why Jesus is constantly correcting him. Peter, you will deny me. That's okay, because we'll restore you later. Peter, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Peter, don't. Peter has the right heart. But he's doing it wrong. And that's what we need to learn here a little bit. So Peter had pretty big words. Pretty big words need to be backed up. And that's what Peter's trying to do. The problem is Peter's doing this in the flesh, not in the Lord. Now, it's not that we're skipping verses 69 through 75. I like that account, but I like Luke's account a little bit better. Can you go with me to Luke chapter 22? Luke 22. 
Let's read Luke's account of the same story. Luke 22, starting in verse 54. Having arrested him, meaning Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. We talked about that last week, the dangers of following at a distance, verse 55. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. We talked about that last week, the danger of being at the enemy's fire when really you're supposed to be at the fire with Christ. Verse 56, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another psalmist said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also is with him, for he's a Galilean. His speech is giving him away. Peter, your accent, they hear you. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Very honest, very sad story. We all have great motives, don't we? I mean, we all do. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stand for you. You're doing devotions at home, it's the morning, and you're like, Lord, I'm going to, today's the day. I'm going to get up at the cafeteria table at work. I'm bringing my bullhorn today. And I'm going to stand up there during lunch. And I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody I run into. Then you walk into the lunchroom and there's a lot of people in there. Some of them look a little intimidating, a little tough. Jesus, I will love you tomorrow like you won't believe. You know, I mean, that's what we do. What knocked Peter back? What was the scary, intimidating thing that Peter said, I have to deny Jesus because of? The answer is found in verse 56. The servant girl. Boy, servant girls are scary. (laughs) Scary to a big, burly fisherman like Peter who wasn't afraid to cut ears off of people in front of Roman soldiers. But a servant girl is the one that said, and Peter had to deny then. You ever been in that position? I have. You know, I've tried to tell you all the time. Anytime I go out, it's like, Lord, everything I do, I want to be an opportunity for you. And it's just, okay, Lord, whoever I talk to, just open a door. So back in November, I got, I got a haircut. And I was going in, I thought, I like this. It's just me and this guy. And it's just us. No one else around. Like, Lord, just open a door. So we start talking, making small talk. And he makes a comment. He's from Ohio. I said, oh, you know, what's your plans? What do you want to do? He goes, I want to move out west. And I said, oh, I've been out west a couple of times. Were you thinking like Colorado, whatever? He goes, no, I want to go to like Oregon, Washington. I said, I've been to Washington. It's a beautiful state. And he goes, oh, I don't really care about the topography. I don't care about that. He goes, I, he just, he goes, I like the way they live out there. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it is way too conservative here. And he starts talking about his lifestyle choices and how he chooses to live and what he chooses to do. And so he says, my family's not accepting of my lifestyle. I'm not. I'm going to go out there where I will be accepted. I said, oh. I said, okay. And I, and I said, you know, I understand what you're saying about not wanting. I said, why don't they accept you? And he goes, well, they were Christians. And I said, okay. And he goes, so as Christians, they don't accept you. And I said, no. That's what he says is, no, they don't. I said, what issues do they have with you? So he told me. And he kind of made this comment then. He goes, that's what really bothers me. He goes, because Jesus would accept me. I said, all righty, buddy, you just said the magic words. So 
Jesus would accept you. I said, let's talk about this. I said, why would Jesus accept you? Well, because Jesus is love. He accepted everybody, etc. I said, you are right. Jesus is love. That's what I love about Christ. That's what I love about Jesus. He was. I said, but do you realize Jesus also said this, this, and this? Okay, guy was a little silent. And he goes, well, I like to focus on those things, the other stuff. I said, that's the problem. I said, that's what I call buffet Christianity. You just get to pick what you want. You can't. If you're going to take Jesus, you've got to take him at everything he said. And I said, do you have a Bible? He said, yeah, i got a Bible. I said, okay, I want you to go home and read these chapters in John. And I want you to really, not what you preconceived Jesus to say. Listen to what Christ really said and listen to those words. Kind of got silent, whatever. And he said he would go home and try to find his Bible and read. I don't know if he did. But bold. Oh, yeah, amen. I took a stand for you. All right, this is great. So I'm going to go get a haircut now. I got a haircut Thursday. We're doing discipleship with a couple out here at church. One of the things we prayed for the day before was boldness. I'm excited. So I go in there just like the last time. Go in. And now there's this gal that's going to cut my hair. Now, I like it when it's just me and the person. There's no one else around. Now there's this gal that wants to cut my hair. And now all of a sudden there's somebody right to my left. There's somebody right to my right. And there's all these people around. And all of a sudden my boldness just completely, utterly disappears because of the servant girl. The nice gal. Very nice gal. Very polite. Very whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, now I'm scared. Now I'm nervous. There's people around. It's like, Jesus, what are you thinking You brought people to hear us talk? That's like the worst idea ever, Lord. So I'm sitting there, and there's all these people around. So you start the small talk. I said, okay, Lord, start the small talk. And I didn't even get to start the small talk this time. She did. You know, she goes, you know, so, you know, where are you from? And et cetera. She goes, so what do you do for a living? And I've told you before, that's a conversation killer. When you say that you're a pastor, it just does. I've joked before, if you say you're like a drug mule, they're like, that's fascinating. You know, let me, tell me stories. But as if you say you're a pastor, they just, it just stops. So she's like, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. Oh, she goes, okay, quiet. Okay, where at? I said, no, it's outside of Hamlet. You probably never heard of it. Quiet. Then she goes, you know, my dad was a street preacher. I said, your dad was a street preacher. She goes, yeah. She goes, and then she starts talking about all the places they used to go. People used to outreach to and witness. And now we're talking about when she got saved and when I got saved. And now all these people are around. And now they're all hearing, hopefully, two believers having a godly conversation about what it means to be saved and going out there and having a heart and a burden for the lost. But what happened to me, I saw the servant girl. And you get a little nervous. You get a little scared. And so it's easy for me to pick on Peter and say, Peter, come on, man. Man up. But I'm telling you right now, in the 20 plus years I've been walking with the Lord, there's been moments of boldness where I didn't care who heard me, followed by moments of, I am just so scared and fearful right now. And before you think that's unbiblical, I'm going through 2 Corinthians for devotions. And one of the verses that Paul says, I came to you in much fear and trembling and loss of words. Paul says, guys, when I came to talk to you, I was a little worked up about it. I appreciate the human nature of that, and I hope you can appreciate the human nature of what I'm telling you. You will have moments of boldness, followed by moments of, I don't know if I want to say anything. Let the Lord lead, because it's not you who's speaking, it's him. It's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. And we got to be careful. It's not going to be the big, burly, mean people that say, I hate Jesus, that scares you. In fact, those people actually... 
make me more bold. It's going to be the servant girls that look scary and intimidating that are going to deflate you. Just be careful and make sure you're prayed up and ready to go. Now, what else can we learn from Peter here? We learned point number one, servant girls are scary. We learned that. We talked about him falling at a distance. We talked about him setting by the fire. Peter's making choice after choice after choice that's taking him farther away from Christ. Keep your hand here. Luke 22. Go with me to Psalm 1, please. Psalm 1. Now, there's 150 psalms. I love them. Love the psalms. If you're looking for a good devotional, I always try to share little insights with you. Proverbs a day, great thing to do. If you want to make it a little bit more, a psalm a day. I love psalms. Very encouraging. I have a pastor friends that calls psalms your spiritual healing oil. When you, you just read them, your just spirit feels healed in the Lord. And you just feel like, Lord, I your love, your grace, your mercy. Now, I always go back and forth on what my favorite psalms are. But Psalm 1 is consistently in my top 10 if not my top five. It's only six verses long, but it's got everything. Verse one, blessed is the man. Stop right there. Blessed. Literal translation. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy is the man. Now, this is not Christmas happy. This is not birthday happy. This is joyfully blessed in the Lord. Because you understand who he is, who you are, his grace, his mercy, his calling, and you are just blessed. Lord, I'm not just here to live my life on my own. I'm not just here to just kind of wander through work and whatever. There's a calling on my life. There's a blessing on my life. You chose me. You chose me, Lord. What a beautiful blessing that is. Blessed is the man, now look at the three things, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who does not do these things. Three things. Walk Stand, sit. Please note the progression of doing less. Now, we would think it the other way. If we were trying to be encouraging, we'd start with sit to stand to walk and say, okay, get up, do something for the Lord, get a stronger walk. Look at what's happening here. Then now we're moving backwards. You're walking and now you're standing and eventually you're sitting. This is the progression of going backwards in the Lord. So you're walking with the ungodly. That's not good. That's Peter following at a distance. Now you're standing in the path of sinners. That's Peter standing there watching these trials of Jesus. And eventually you're sitting as he sits by the fire and warms himself. Listen, nobody, nobody goes backwards in the Lord overnight. It is a slow progression. It's a slow progression of little choices that take you farther away from Jesus. And what happens is you're not praying as much. Church all of a sudden becomes, I'll make it if I can. And then it starts becoming a distance with Christ. You start making little moral compromises. It just slowly starts to happen. Walking, standing, sitting. I don't know where you're at this morning. I hope you're not sitting. I hope you're not standing. And I hope your walk is not starting to slow down. But learning from Peter, it happens. Be careful of your effort in the walk of the Lord. Now, be careful with that word effort. I'm not saying your works save you. You know that's not true. I'm saying that once you are born again and saved in Jesus Christ, what are you doing to invest in your walk in relationship with Christ? 
We're going through Hebrews on Wednesday night. One of the verses we keep talking about is how faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. And you invest in your walk in relationship with Christ. You invest in prayer and service and ministry and outreach and evangelism. You invest in it. Is this guy investing? No. Eventually, he's sitting. What are we supposed to do? Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates in his law day and night. Oh, man, I cannot tell you enough. There's a power in being in God's word. It just fascinates me how busy we get where we can't find time to be in the word. And I want to tell you here very lovingly, and please don't take this the wrong way. You're never going to find time. you got to make time. You have to. And when you make time, go back to verse 1. Blessed is the man. Don't treat it like homework. Don't treat it like a have to. It's a get to. Don't treat it legalistically. I was doing devotions this week one day, and there was one verse, one verse. That's all I read. And it was just the verse I needed to hear. And, and I read it, and it's just like, Lord, that's exactly what it is. You just kind of keep praying over it and kind of keep meditating over it. Now, when you think of meditation, we think of the word and the idea of the world today. Meditation of emptying yourself. Here, biblically, meditation means you're filling yourself with God's word. You just keep chewing on it. And next thing you know, you're chewing on it. I don't know what works for you. I only can tell you what works for me. I, I find it. I chew on it. Pray over it. And then the next thing you know, I'm underlining it in my Bible. And next thing you know, I'm writing it out. And it's like, Lord, I want to really just chew on this. What's the result of that? Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You're planted. You're growing. You're not spiritually withering. You're not drying up. You're feeling refreshed and revitalized in the Lord, and you have a focus and a vision. And, and I'm not just here to get up and go to school or clean the house or go to work. I have a God-given calling on my life that's a deeper purpose. And I feel revitalized in that. And I'm bringing forth fruit for the Lord because I planted myself by Him. Not at a distance. By Him. You're planted by the river of water. Get as close as you can to Jesus and don't let go. Verse 4. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The chaff is just blown away. I heard a great teaching one time where it talked about leaves. The fall leaves. Constantly moving, constantly being blown around. But what? They're dead. They have no direction because they're being pushed along by the winds of the world. How many times do we see that spiritually? We see people that are active, but they're spiritually dead. The world is just pushing them around here and there, but they're dead. What we need to do right here, right now, is just to stop and say, okay, looking at Peter's life, let's learn from him. Walking at a distance, sitting where he shouldn't be sitting, servant girls are scaring him. Oh, Lord, I, I want Psalm 1. I don't want to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't want to stand in the path of sinners. I don't want to sit in the seat of the scornful. I want to delight in your law. I want to meditate on day and night. And I'm going to plant myself beside you as close as I possibly can be. And you'll see the fruit that comes out of that. I guarantee it. Peter went through a lot. We pick on Peter a lot. But you know what? We can learn from Peter. And the last thing I want to say about Peter here before we close up. Take a look at verse 61 of Luke 22. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I, I don't know about you. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to add to the Bible. I don't think this was a look of anger. I don't think this was a, a look to make Peter feel bad. I mean, come on, parents. 
you know that if your kid is across the room, you can give them a look. And you can make that look be encouraging, uplifting, or it can be a look of, boy, you better stop. You know what I mean? You got it. Jesus is looking at Peter. I, I think it was a look of love. I think it probably was a look of disappointment of Peter. I, I told you. Now, Jesus doesn't leave Peter hanging because we know in the book of John, Jesus specifically comes back to restore Peter. But look at this. You may be at a distance. You may be sitting by the, the fire that you shouldn't. But Jesus is still looking at you saying, I want you. I want that. The question is, do we want that back? Worship team, if you come forward. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, we don't want to walk at a distance. We don't want to stand where we shouldn't. We don't want to sit where we shouldn't. We want to be as close as we can to you. Plant us, plant us, Lord, by the water.